Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Pure Talk, my sponsor and my wireless company, is now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. As you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. Go to puretalk.com slash jesse to make the switch today and save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com slash jesse. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it... Boy Meets World House! Take a listen. Are there any moments or spots on any of the sets we worked on over the seven years that you guys felt more at home that were like your little spots on the set you like to hang out? I'm afraid it was the sink. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yeah. You had to act <laughs> by the, the sink a lot. lot. Yeah. I was behind the counter. Yeah. Right. Doing business constantly. Uh-huh. Mom stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> Disciplining you <laughs> in some way. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What, look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You, you want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps, and then they carry with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a thousand at a time. Please, don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. nwretention.com, that's nwretention.com. Use the promo code JESSE, get you 10% off. This is the Jesse Kelly Show.
Do you want to die young? Get to that in a second. We have quite a show today. We're going to talk about drinking booze out of your dead enemy's prosthetic leg. We're going to talk about the next battle in the culture war you probably don't see coming, but it is coming. I'm telling you it's coming. I'll tell you what that is in a little bit. And the system, you know, I talk all the time about the system, how it's all one system, media, education, Democratic Party, half the Republican Party, Hollywood. It's it's all one gigantic system now, federal bureaucracy. I'm about to tell you where they're going next so you can be ready for it. I'll give you a little preview of that. But first, you know I love my... Cowboys and Indians stories. I do. I always have. I always will. We will always tell them. And when I say Cowboys and Indians, this is what I mean. I love the epic struggles between a more modernized, organized nation and tribal peoples. I find it fascinating. I like a good underdog story. I don't always root for the underdog. I don't always root for, for, for the modern country. When I was a kid playing Cowboys and Indians with my friends, I'm not even sure if they still do that now. You probably have to say cow persons and indigenous peoples. But either way, when I was a kid, we would play Cowboys and Indians, and I was fine either way. I loved being an Indian. I loved being a cowboy. They're all fine with me. But when I say tribal peoples, I mean all over the world, not just America, because this struggle has happened all over the world, North America, which includes obviously Mexico, Cortez, the Aztecs, South America, Africa, which is where we're going today, Asia, Europe. You see, you think tribal peoples and you automatically think people with darker than pale, pale skin color. You shouldn't. It was just the white tribal people that got taken over earlier than others. Remember the Gauls? What color do you think the Gauls were when Julius Caesar was carving them up like a blowtorch through butter? The history of mankind, the reason I don't get sentimental about it either way, I just love the stories. The The history of mankind is modern nations, more technologically advanced more organized nations conquering people who aren't as technologically advanced, aren't as organized. Whatever your history is in your life and people you love, just know this. It's all inevitable in the end. The technologically advanced, the organized They will defeat you and take over because it's all about power. Do you have it? Do you have the power to stop them? Or don't you have the power to stop them? Because all the rest of this is just window dressing. Let's go to Africa. Africa, 1800s. This is prime time colonial period in Africa. 
And it has been for, for, for quite some time. Remember that whole age of exploration thing where they were trying to get over to India to get in on the spice trade, trying to get around Africa, eventually did get around Africa. And part of that process was you're creating little towns, little colonies along the African coast where your ships can stop and resupply and then ships stop and resupply a lot. And eventually someone thinks, whoa, you know what I should do? I should invent the 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 16th century version of a gas station here so I can make some money while they stop and resupply. And then eventually that guy has kids and those kids need a school. And before long, you have a town there. And this happened time and time and time again. Wasn't just England who we'll be talking about today. Many, many, many countries did it. Netherlands, so on and so forth. But today we're focusing on Britain. Because Britain eventually took over Cape Town. And Britain began expanding. And as you begin expanding, this is how this this is how this colonial process works lots of the time. Sometimes it's overt. Sometimes it's big bad modern country steps in and says, guess what? I like all this land. You tribe, you are either working for us or you're gonna die or you can get out. And it's just that simple. But lots of the time. It has economic reasons behind it. You see, Britain got nestled in down there, and what do they discover? They discover diamonds. Well, this 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 place has diamonds. Uh, we're gonna need some more troops down here. Uh, I think we're gonna go ahead and expand just a little bit. Yeah, this tribe can move out of the way. This tribe can move out of the way. Excuse us, we are coming through. They eventually establish a place called Natal. Now, let's set the English aside for a moment and go to our opponents. The English opponents, not our opponents. I've never met one to my knowledge. The Zulus. You see, the reason I don't get sentimental about history is because people are all the same. They're all the same. Yeah, I pick my sides because cultures are not all the same. But in general, they all take the same path. Yes, you know, I love my Indian tribes. My, my native tribes of, of various, various nations have my favorites here in America, Comanches and others, even though they were violent, extremely. Kind of what made them cool. But... You see, they're always taking over each other, too, dominating each other, too, running each other out of wherever they can, too. I don't buy into this saintly version of history of the evil white European colonizer and the downtrodden native who just wants to be at one with the land and smoke his peace pipe. That's such a bunch of crap. At this point in Africa, or slightly before this point, I should say, a tribe arose. They were the Zulus. They ended up getting a great leader or two. And they figured out certain things about warfare, about organization. And like so many, and I don't judge them for this at all the same way. I don't judge the British. They look around one day and they say, wow, tell me what's stopping us from taking over that tribe. And then taking over that tribe. And then taking over that tribe. And the answer is nothing. 
Don't give me your laws. Don't give me your traditions. Don't give me a that would be a big meanie McMean face thing to do. I want to know what will physically stop me from taking over that tribe. And if you can't give me an answer, I'm going to take over that tribe. The Zulus were absolutely curb stomping all the other tribes in Africa. They were just these awesome warriors. Awesome warriors. And we can get a little biased on our side when it comes to tribes too and think about them in one of two ways. This is what we do. We do this with American Indians all the time. We do it with Africans. We do it anywhere there's a, there's a native tribe. We, do, we go one of two directions. Either we think of them like these guerrilla fighting super warriors they're basically Batman. You can, you can stare at one, and then if you look away for half a second and look back, he'll have disappeared because he can melt into the sand. Uh, hang on. We need to address that. We need to address that before we get drinking, get to drinking booze out of a leg and other things. Hang on. Jesse Kelly. You're listening to The Jesse Kelly Show. Natural medicines, holistic healing approaches, they are known to alleviate things like joint pain, anxiety, headaches, sleeplessness, and more. I like this. I choose this. That's why I've chosen CBD. But... The CBD world can be confusing. I know it can be confusing because I've bought plenty of it. And it's everywhere now, especially where I live. You can buy CBD at the local rundown gas station. I'm not making that up. How, how can you figure out which one to buy? Well, I don't have to figure it out anymore. Doctors Trusted CBD Company, they figured it out for me. They went out, researched the whole industry, and picked only the best. That's what you find at DoctorsTrustedCBD.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE when you go there. That gets you free shipping and 10% off. Two things in our minds, and a lot of this is a product of Hollywood and books and and things. We do two things in our minds when it comes to native peoples. We either consider them to be, like I said, Batman, where they can melt into the ground. But they're basically Predator, where they're camouflaged at all times. Or... On the other side, we consider them to be just absolute morons. They'll just... Look, they, they have... Nothing but spears, which is often true. It actually is true today, but they don't do tactics or anything. They're just going to line up and paint their faces and yell a lot when they run. And that's not true either. Again, they're just people. Experienced tactics. Know what they're doing. Not gods. Not all super ninjas. Not all the same. Remember, I'm going to tell you today on the show where the next cultural battle is heading in its 
horrifying. And I'm going to tell you what the system is getting ready to do. But before we get to that, back to Africa. Britain is stomping its way through Africa, expanding, and they find themselves butting right up against the Zulus. Remember, the Zulus were just dominating everybody. And this is 1879. In 1879, Britain still owns about one-fourth of the world. Yeah, they're powerful. They're powerful, and they're modern. The really, really smart nations use their wealth and power to advance technologically and advance their weaponry. Britain was no different. So Britain, they had developed something a breech-loading rifle. You've seen enough. You've seen enough Civil War movies, Revolutionary War movies, that you know what a muzzle loader is. I don't have to elaborate for you. In some shape or form, you're pouring black powder in some bullet. Usually, it was a ball, but I'm not going into any of that. Down the muzzle of a weapon, and then you're grabbing that stick thingy-majigger, and you're jamming it down there. And I'm, that, that's about it, right? Well, a breech. Loading rifle loads the bullet in the back by your face much faster, and it's a completely encased bullet, meaning they just pull out. That very similar to what you would see today, not identical, but similar to what you'd see today. You pull out a bullet, throw it in, fire away. The difference between being able to shoot 10 shots a minute and one shot a minute is huge humongous, and they had developed a Martini Henry breech-loading rifle. I only give you the name, not because you need to remember it, in case you're sitting in front of a computer and feel like looking it up at this point in time. You want to look at what they were shooting here in Africa during this battle? It's the Martini Henry breech-loading rifle. They had artillery. They had horses. They had logistics. And they decided, well... We need to go to war with these Zulus. So they didn't want to. Remember, the colonial powers often wanted to look benevolent about it. And while I don't apologize, I don't don't feel bad for the downtrodden natives, I also don't excuse the motivations of the colonial powers either. They were always trying to gain money, power, and influence, you know, but doing it the right way. And this, in this case, was no different. Butted up against the Zulus, gave the Zulus some ultimatum, which they could not possibly hope to follow. England says, hey, man, we tried to negotiate. I guess it's war then. And they prepare for battle. The British troops are heavily, heavily, heavily armed and highly experienced. So are the Zulus at the time. The Zulus are a militia. You know, like the one we're supposed to have here in America? You know who the militia is supposed to be? Thomas Jefferson said this. You and me. Thomas Jefferson famously said, who is the militia? It is the whole people. Here's something for you. We'll get to this a little later on today. I don't care how things are going, good or bad, in in here in America. You and I have an obligation as citizens to train with our weapons. Did you know that? 
You are obligated. You're part of the militia as an American citizen. You are. It's not supposed to be for someone else. It's supposed to be for you. It's supposed to be for me. And I'm not pointing fingers. I have times that, look, I've gone six months without going to the range. I'm, I'm not pointing fingers. We have an obligation to do this. Don't get me sidetracked on today's news. Back to the Zulus. Zulus are a militia. They're not a full-time army. They can't afford to be. They're, you know, it's, it's, it's cattle. It's farmland. But they do gather together, as militias do, often to train. So they are experienced fighters, and they are really experienced training together. And this is going to come into play today. This is not some fly-by-night group. Britain timed their invasion of the Zulus for harvest season. They thought they were being very slick because the Zulus wouldn't be together training. They'll be all home harvesting the crops, can't organize in time, except the Britain knew just enough about the Zulus to get themselves in trouble. Yes, it may have been harvest season, but this particular time was during what was called the First Fruits Ceremony. Don't worry about remembering that. But that is essentially all the Zulu warriors got together at that time to train together. They screwed the whole thing up and invaded when the Zulus were all together and armed to the teeth. (laughs) But even if Britain had known, they wouldn't have been worried about it because they looked down on the Zulus And they looked down on them, let's be frank about it, for a good reason. Not for skin color reasons, although I'm sure there was some of that. I don't know anything about that. Sure, there was plenty of it. They looked down on their fighting ability because they had fought African tribes. They'd fought native peoples before around the world and always came out on top. And I mean always. We are Britain. We don't, we're not going to lose. We're not going to lose to a bunch of African tribes. They just simply didn't have any respect for the Zulus or tribal peoples. And it's understandable. Nothing in their past had shown them they should respect it. We'll be disciplined. We'll be good. We'll do our thing. But, I mean, it's an African tribe. What are they going to do? Spear us? Uh, hang on to that. Hang on to that thinking for a moment. Britain Britain invades, and it starts to rain. You see, this is rainy season, and remember, this is 1879, not 1979. They're not driving in tanks and trucks. They are still very much old school, even though this isn't that long ago. You want to haul your men, your supplies, your artillery pieces around. You have oxen, lots of them. You have oxen plodding through the mud. You have oxen. You have to cross rivers with them. What happens to rivers when it rains? This is a long way of saying the British invasion is slow. They don't know this land like the Zulus know this land. And they're plodding through, and Britain does what so many people do. In fact, it's smart militarily. They divide their invasion into three prongs, very similar to Hitler's invasion of of Russia. Is it going to have the same result, though? 
We'll talk about that. We'll talk about where the culture is going and more. Hanging up. Split into three groups, invade Zululand. It's going slow. They're bogged down in the rain, but it's going fine. No problem yet. They set up a camp. One of the columns sets up a camp. Remember, we're going to talk about drinking booze out of a leg a little later on. Ugh, gosh, that is absolutely gruesome. I'm going to talk to Daniel Turner about if Biden's elected, if if Kerry gets swept in like we're assuming he will, what's that mean for the climate change garbage? We'll talk about that in a little while, next hour. Back to the Zulus. The Zulus are waiting. They're waiting in mass. There's over 20,000 of them, and the British are now split up. They set up this camp. The camp... Is at the base of I don't I definitely don't want to call it a mountain. You can go look at it right now. It's more of a extreme hill. And I'm going to screw up the pronunciation. You're going to have to live with that. Islandiwana. It's spelled island islandiwana, although it's one word. Islandiwana. They they set up there or at least close to there. Only they don't do because of their lack of respect. For the Zulu, they don't do the one thing you have to always do when you set up a camp of fortification everywhere. They don't even bother to dig in. You see, the British had, for so long, won so many of these battles against indigenous peoples around the world, they just had gotten to a point where they didn't respect their opponents so they didn't dig holes they didn't even circle their wagons up to have some sort of fortification they just were there here oxen go graze they start sending out scouting patrols they leave 1300 men back at the camp but i want to be clear about two things here the 1300 men they left back at the camp were not just a bunch of cooks and mail clerks. They left seasoned warriors at that camp. Also, some of the people at that camp were other African tribes. Now, let's pause there for a moment because it goes back to one of the original points I made and a point I'll always make. Don't get caught up in this white guilt history that is taught almost universally in schools these days. It is a lie. It is an anti-American lie to try to get everybody to hate themselves. You know why there were a bunch of African tribes, about 400 of them fighting with the British that day? Because they're all the people who'd been slaughtered by the Zulus and run out of their own land. They were considered to be refugees. 
There aren't these good guys and bad guys in history. There's conquered and there's the conqueror. And that's just a fact. The British send out scouts and they start running across patches of Zulus. Nothing to be concerned about yet, but they start running across patches of them. Eventually, one of the units on horseback, they see a, a significant patch of Zulus heading toward the camp, but they don't freak out about it because they don't see that many. They simply send a rider back to the camp saying, hey, just a heads up, there's some Zulus heading your way. Camp says, oh, okay, well, some doesn't sound like it's going to be a problem. Remember the lack of respect? And the Zulus, of course, remember, don't ever think of them like a bunch of morons just holding some shields and spears, no idea what they're doing. They find a way to sneak close enough to this camp so the camp can't really get a good grasp on how many they are. And then it eventually dawns on the 1,300 men at the camp They're facing 20,000 Zulus. And these 20,000 Zulus are making a lot of noise as warriors do in combat. It's both to inspire you and to intimidate the enemy. And one of the British troops later on said as he looked down on it, it looked like a swarm of ants heading towards the camp. And the Zulus have a formation it's, a, it's essentially they were famous for it. It looked like a bull where they had horns on the side that were aimed at flanking you and then a big chest in the middle. And the Zulus began to come at these British. But remember, these are not a bunch of a scared little kids in this British camp. These are seasoned fighters. They begin to rain fire down on the Zulus. And the Zulus, yes, are dropping, but these aren't idiots. They're figuring out the British have to reload. The British have times where they run out of ammo and more ammo has to come up. So the Zulus charge and then find a rock or lay down and prone out until the British are done shooting. Then get up and charge again. It's not like you see in the movies where they just run at a dead sprint across 500 yards. You'd be so gassed you couldn't fight at the end of that anyway. It's 10 meters at a time, 20 meters at a time. Closing in, closing in, closing in. By this point, the British are still confident because they are laying down fire. They are killing plenty of Zulus. And because the Zulus aren't on them yet, you haven't really lost a man. If you're the British, they don't have, they don't have weapons that can get you from a distance. So what's the problem? Well, the problem comes... When one of the British units on the line, they're in danger of being overrun because the Zulus are so close and they have to beat a tactical retreat back inside of the camp. Tactical retreat means you don't just throw down your weapon and turn around and run. You're shooting as you back away. So they didn't do anything wrong, but what they did do was expose the flank of another British unit. Now the Zulus go swarming in into the flank of that British unit and British soldiers begin to die. And this is the part of the story 
where you have to put yourself there. Not that there's a pleasant way to die in combat, but you're watching your friends die with a spear in their face. It's just different. You're being swarmed. You're being speared. Panic begins to set in. They, by all accounts, including Zulu accounts after the British really, really acquitted themselves well, found themselves retreating clear back into the camp, and now it's a scene straight out of Custer and the Little Bighorn where they are in circles. They are gunning down Zulus as the Zulu swarm pours over the camp. At one point in time, the British begin to look around, calling for ammunition, and it's gone. There's no more ammunition to call up. And what what does that moment feel like when you are technologically superior by a large margin over the people you're fighting and in a moment you're not what does that moment feel like when it dawns on you well this rifle this super fancy advanced rifle just became a club and a spear and nothing more Hang on. I'm going to tell you where this thing ends and where the system is going. Hang on. Miss something? There's a pop. Get it on demand wherever podcasts are found. The Jesse Kelly Show. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker. Your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke anime Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. What's that moment feel like when you're surrounded and the ammo is running out? One observer of this, remember I talked about the ants swarming over the camp, 
said the creepiest thing was hearing all the shots that were coming out of the camp, you know, boom, 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 boom. And then they're slowing down. Boom, boom, boom. Then it's just a sporadic one or two. And then they stop completely as the ants swarm in. The fighting got to back to back again. Your weapon just becomes a spear. We're going to get to our drinking out of a leg here in a moment, by the way. Apparently the British did fight to the last man. There weren't cowards there, people running to escape. They did try to save the colors, but those men died too. 1,300 men there, 1,300 men dead. The worst disaster, I believe, not numbers-wise, but the worst disaster considered to be in the history of England. The Zulus won that day. But back to our question in the beginning. Because I hear these stories a lot, and these are awesome stories. Again, that's called the Battle of Island Iwana, if you want to look it up. It's fascinating. Do you want to die young? What I'm saying is after this battle, obviously this was a, it was, it was so embarrassing for Britain. They actually covered it up. There were basically no survivors anyway. I think 60 people for various reasons had made it out. The Zulus didn't want to kill any of, you know, the camp helpers and the camp helpers wore dark uniforms. Well, some of the British troops, only a few had dark uniforms and they were confused to be camp helpers. So they let them live. But it was something like that. Otherwise, no one would have lived. Britain's so embarrassed they don't talk about it. But they are enraged at the highest levels. And now they take this, what they viewed as basically a border, a border skirmish between some tribes. Now they're sending in the troops and they just wipe out the Zulus. Then it ends. So in the end, Zulus go down because of this battle, really. What should they have done? What do you as a modern American who's lost your culture, you have, what do you have an obligation to do? What do I have an obligation to do? How do we exist here? You see, the Zulus could have just basically laid down, lost their way of life, and lived. Or they could do the thing we love, the thing we like to make movies about. Let's get 20,000 men together and go kill some Brits. But that virtually guarantees we're going to be wiped out. Now, I know which one you admire. It's the same one I admire. I'm going down with the, just the ship, baby. We're, we're going down. I'm going to take as many of them with me as I can. And I admire that, too. I'm just like you. I get it. But a long life means something, too, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Let's not discount... Long life guy. Let's not discount all those leaders. Look, we're talking about tribes today. Some let's let's not discount all those tribal leaders who gathered their people together and looked at things and thought to themselves, Well, I don't I don't like these invaders either, but I want my kids to see adulthood. 
I want my grandkids bouncing on my lap one day, so I guess we're just going to have to kind of endure. Or is that guy wrong? Can you honestly say that guy's wrong? Have you ever had to make a decision like that in your life? And I'm asking this because as you assess where we are culturally, and we're going to talk about the next culture war here in just a few, as you assess where we are culturally, we have to make decisions on how much we exist within this culture that is rotting underneath us. And it is. Let's not sugarcoat it. The culture is rotting underneath us. How much do you exist in it? At what point do you decide I've had enough and I'm fighting back? And understand what fighting back means. What if you went out today? What if you're a small business owner? We're going to talk about what this L.A. City Councilwoman did, L.A. County Supervisor. What if you're a small business owner and you've had enough of this lockdown hysteria and the, and the hypocrisy and you're opening your business today? And don't get me wrong, I think you all should because they can't arrest all of you. But what if it's just you? We're only talking about you right now. And you've had enough and you're opening up your business today. and You, you can't take this anymore. I like it. Admire it. Let's also consider what that means. Let's take a moment and consider what that means. Hang on. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells too. I'm not not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time means you're going to acquire smells, whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint, your carpet, maybe they're animal smells, maybe you're a smoker or someone else was. Just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours. I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one. Get two. Be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE. That gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. Promo code JESSE. Hollywood is under siege from external forces. The same Hollywood that sold the American dream is now making nightmares a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in Hollywood Takeover. Brought to you by the Epic Times, where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at hollywoodtakeover.com slash jesse. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. 
Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.